So last week, we, did, we, we examined, we explored male headship and the woman's role as helper as a matter of divine design and will, something that God instituted in the beginning at creation. It goes all the way to consummation from the first man to the judgment of all men. This is his will. It's, it's permanent, okay? God created the man to have headship over his dominion. He created the woman to help him advance God's vision for that dominion, for their marriage, for their children, all for the glory of God. And we, exp- we explored the fact that man, the man, brought sin into the world, which has cursed both the place of his dominion, it's complicated the relationship with the person of his dominion, who is his wife. But because of sin, God did not... Uh, change his mind about the order of things, the headship of man. Sin does not have the power to you know, change or to alter God's will, his design. But for man, it has made it more difficult for him to accomplish God's will in both, we might say, his occupational dominion and his domestic dominion. Now, of course, all of that theology, it takes time to develop scripturally because, as we said last week, our culture has spent so much time uh, poisoning us, trying to change our thinking, to indoctrinate us away from God, um, the, the feminist movement, uh, bad Bible teaching, wimpy men, and our own sin nature. Okay? But when you, when you just approach the scriptures, even at a, as, a, you know, as a cursory reading of them, it yields no other conclusion. And if you go in depth with the scriptures, uh, it just reinforces all that is concrete. Okay? Anything to the contrary is obviously a challenge. It's an affront to the wisdom of God. As I said last week, the, the controversy of, of all of this uh, doesn't surprise me that it's, that it's in our world, but I'm grieved that the controversy is actually exists among the people of God who out of one side of their mouth defend the inspiration and the authority of Scripture while out the other side of their mouth, they undermine and challenge God's design and wisdom for the family. It's crazy, isn't it, that we do that? Yeah. And so this brings us to Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 33, which in all honesty exists because of Genesis 3. You understand that? It exists because of Genesis 3. If sin did not come into the world, there would be no reason for the instruction of, 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 of Ephesians. It's because of sin in us, and because of the unchanging will of God that the Holy Spirit conveyed these words to his people. Okay, now, sadly, uh, in the church, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is one of the most disputed texts in all of scripture because of dishonest scholars like a man named N.T. Wright, who with a very British, sophisticated sounding, scholarly whatever, deceives people with the scriptures and flips everything on its head. N.T. Wright, I'm not afraid to call out heretics, okay? He convolutes and confuses the word of God in essential areas. It's controversial because of the, the, the feminist movement of spineless men. I can't stand wimpy men, okay? And, and I don't like dominant women. I just can't because it's so contrary to the way that God has designed uh, the family and the relationships between men and women. And I'm the one quite often that is is picking up all the pieces because those two things, they don't come together well, okay? And what women really want deep down is a strong man, good, godly men of integrity, of virtue, of character, amen? And men, honestly, I, I don't want a weak-willed woman. I don't like weak-willed women. 
I like strong women. Do you know what I'm saying? Strong women. And I believe that, that women are stronger. I believe that men are better when we find our place in the order that God created in the beginning. I believe, I trust that he is completely wise. That he knows exactly what he is doing. And I won't waver from that. Okay. Ephesians 5, and 33 stand because it's the word of God. You can stand now if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> it was premature, but it was pretty good. Let me, uh, let me get there real fast. You guys are ahead of me. Ephesians 5, it's in the New Testament, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his wife, his own wife, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we thank you for all of your word, and we thank you for all of your goodness that comes through your wisdom. Lord, your grace. We, we call you Lord. Lord, help us not to betray that in our conduct, but help us to yield to your word. Help us to take hold of your wisdom and to trust the fruit of it, Lord. So Lord, minister to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. So as I've engaged with uh, many, many people uh, in the last you know, 20 years of ministry, this, in marriage, you know, this text always has to come into the context because of just because of what it is. And what I've um, grown very familiar with is that we like to insert conditions into the text. We like to uh, give qualifying statements to it. Uh, and I always, it's always baffled me, you know, what other passage, what other passage of scripture, you know, what other command of God have we inserted so many human conditions? We, we read conditions into this text. And um, like, you know, if, if, I, if I uphold my part of the deal, and if my wife upholds her part of the deal, then I'll love her. Well, if, if my husband loves me as Christ loved the church, impossible, I, I'll submit to him, okay? We insert qualifying statements, um, I read one from Focus on the Family a couple years ago, I've shared this before, that a wife is only required to submit to godly leadership. Really? Where did you find that in all of Holy Writ? So I wrote to them and asked, if a wife is only required to submit to godly leadership, how do you explain 1 Peter 3, 1, which says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You see, a husband who does not obey God's word, is ungodly. He is disobedient to Christ. And indeed, he is a disservice to his wife. 
But in spite of his disobedience, a Christian wife is commanded to submit to his authority. His ungodliness does not somehow you know, change the will of God for male headship. Okay? In response, Focus on the Family gave me some excuse for their ungodly counsel to Christian women. They were giving Christian women permission to disobey God's word. Okay? So when I got that kind of response, I said, whatever, whatever. If you're not going to yield, then I'm not going to continue the conversation. So church, please, you know, be like the Bereans of Acts 17, 11. They searched the scriptures daily to see if what they were being taught by Paul the apostle of all people to see if what he was teaching was true. God's word is the source of ultimate truth. It's final authority, okay? But men and their institutions, they are not. They should always be looked into. They should always be held in question. But because we believe in the the inspiration and the authority of God's word here at Calvary Chapel, we're going to do our best to uphold the word of God, okay? And I suppose that that's why you keep coming, all right? It's just the word of God. Now, as we get into Ephesians 5, through 23, uh, I need everybody to understand something, that it's, the text is not addressing extreme circumstances like abuse or tyranny with, within any given marriage, okay? Or a particular marriage, rather. The Holy Spirit is simply addressing what is expected of Christian couples for their good and for the glory of God. Okay, if we want to get into extreme examples where there's abuse, where there's tyranny, things like that, we have to go elsewhere. Of course, it would be a violation of Ephesians 5. But in order to address those things uh, in an appropriate fashion, we would have to go elsewhere. Okay? So here we're talking about what God just simply expects for Christian husbands and wives for their good, for his glory. So I won't have you stand at this point to read the scriptures. We'll just get into it. So verse 22 and 23 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as opposed to somebody else's husband, as to the Lord. Why? For or because the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Our culture loves to grab onto this word submission to show how evil men are in the church. But just as we looked at the word dominion, the world looks at dominion and says, ooh, that's bad. Ruling, ooh. But an elder must rule his own household well, or he can't be an elder, okay? So dominion has to be defined from God's perspective, what he means by it, okay? The word submit is a compound word in the Greek that means to place under the authority of in an orderly manner, okay? Other places it does say, wives, obey your husbands, okay? So God is the one that created the order of things, and it's, it is for us to walk in it. This order of things is found actually in every sphere of life and society. Without it, there's complete chaos, okay? Christians are commanded to submit to God, are we not? Is that a shameful thing? Is it a bad thing? Okay. Hebrews 12, 9, James 4, 7. We're commanded to submit to spiritual leadership, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, as much as I dislike it, we're commanded to submit to the governing authorities, to kings, governors, rulers, and so forth, right? Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Children are supposed to submit to their parents. Is that a good thing? It's not happening in our culture more and more. What's it look like? Insanity, yeah. Ephesians 6, 1, Colossians 3, 20. Bond servants to their masters, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Colossians 2, 20. I can give this to you later. If I put it up there, I'll be here all day, okay? Of course, that then would correspond to more today with employee-employer relationships, wives to their husbands. Even Jesus, who the high king of heaven, 
who in the incarnation became a man, submitted to his earthly parents. Okay? And of course, Jesus was always submissive to his Father in heaven, always doing those things which please his dad, even when in his, in his humanity he was struggling. Could this cup pass before me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's true submission. So it's not like this concept is unique to the home. It, it fits perfectly with everything and how God has designed the world that we lived in. It doesn't mean that sinful men do it well, right? Because we don't all the time do it well. But the order is there nonetheless. You know, imagine a world where men, and I mean men, not men and women or mankind, but men, imagine a world where men have no restraint and women have no protection, none. Well, you can go to the southern border of America right now, or you can go to parts of China, Afghanistan, parts of Africa, and you won't have to imagine. You can see what a world like that would be. And if God stayed silent on these matters, our whole world would still be under those conditions as it was before the advent of Christianity. But then somehow today, because of secularism, Christianity has become the enemy of women. You go do your own research. Look at how women were treated before the advent of the gospel as it went out into the pagan world. Yeah. You guys, we got the ball rolling on women being elevated, on being loved, cherished. The gospel did that. This order is rooted in God's design for the good of women. So God has designed the wife to take a submissive role in the marriage. That's obvious from the text. Now notice the last statement of verse 22. It is a qualifying statement. Okay? God can add his own qualifying statements to his own statements. We cannot. Okay? It's not mine. It's inserted there by the Holy Spirit. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord is the, the degree. It's the, the qualifying factor. It's there, actually, I believe, to anticipate, anticipate how we might qualify submission or how we might question it. The statement in the text answers the question, to what degree... Because what we do is when we read something like Ephesians 5.22, our mind immediately starts searching for exceptions. How many of you did that when I read it? <laughs> the rest of you are lying. When we read submit to the government, when we read submit, our mind immediately goes, well, what are the exceptions? So the Holy Spirit anticipates exceptions. To what degree should I submit to my own husband? The answer, as to the Lord, to the same degree, as you would to Christ. Others are quick to apply conditions to the text, which don't exist either. It goes something like this. So you're saying that I should submit to my husband as to the Lord if he loves me like Christ loves the church, if and when he makes wise decisions, if I like or agree with his choices, as long as he is godly? Sure, of course, absolutely, if you can find it in the passage. But, but there's no alternative way to define as to the Lord. It means in the same way you would submit to the Lord, to, to the same degree. But Pastor Ben, that's not fair. Well, like it wasn't fair for Paul to subject himself to hardship for the gospel and obedience to Christ? Is that what you mean by fair? And by the way, it was no surprise to Paul when he suffered greatly in his calling. When he was called, the Lord said, I'm going to show him in advance how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts 9, 16. Acts 20, 23. Should we not submit to Christ because he's actually appointed suffering for us? 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 1 Peter 3.17, chapter 4.12-19. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
Do we stop desiring to live godly as God commands because godliness reaps persecution? For everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. But again, you know, we're talking about what God expects of Christians in marriage. We're not addressing the extreme examples of women who are under wicked tyranny of a man, right? Okay. We don't have the authority to apply our own conditions to the text or add qualifying statements. If we add conditions, if we add our own qualifiers to the word of God, we'll never obey anything he commands. It's in us to do that. Our sin nature will keep us from it. Okay. So we, don't, we should stay away from that business because we'll just give ourselves a pass every time we don't feel like obeying. Whenever we don't feel like something is fair, whenever something requires sacrifice or suffering, we'll excuse ourselves and then we'll justify our disobedience. So real quick, let's get this over with. Are there exceptions to submitting to human authority? Of course there is. But in most cases, it's not biblically justifiable. Okay? It just feels that way because, well, we want our way. Okay? We want our way. And I put the question why in there between verse 22 and 23 because of how verse 23 begins. It begins with the word for, or as it can be translated, because. So Paul says, wives are to submit to their husbands as they would to the Lord because the husband is head of the wife. Now the word head, it speaks of authority. The husband is the wife's authority just as or in the same way as Christ is head. He's the authority of the church. And we briefly looked at 1 Corinthians 11 to support this concept last Sunday. Paul says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is is God. So you see there's an order there, okay? And it's a good order. It's God and Christ, man and woman. So Christ is under the immediate headship of his father and he submits to his authority. Is it any shame for Christ to submit to his father? Then why is it any shame for us to submit? It's in our nature, isn't it? Yeah. Man is under the immediate headship of Christ and he should submit to his authority. Woman is under the immediate headship of her husband and she should submit to his authority. And then, of course, as we see in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians, children are under the immediate headship of their parents and they should submit to them. And then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 to point back to Genesis, surprisingly, to talk about God's design and his will. It's unchanging. It's the order of God. Let's move on. He says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So in the same manner that the church should be subject to Christ. Let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Did you identify the qualifying statement? In everything. Let wives be subject to their husbands in everything. There's no condition in the text. There's no contrary statements to qualify what is meant. The clarity of the passage, it's, it's simplicity, it's directness, it's easy to understand. Okay? Again, what confuses the passage is our objections. It's us. It's us. When we do that, it's in hermeneutics, it's, called something, it's something called eisegesis. I know it's not a term we use a lot in the congregation, but I use it a lot with Bible teachers. And eisegesis always leads to false interpretation, which is followed by error in application, which never, ever serves the glory of God. Okay, the, the, the issue here has so been convoluted by, okay, I'll just be honest with you, cowardly pastors, spineless men, and a culture that is in love with itself. The text here has been reduced to something of a, a relic of the past so that those who profess Christ today, 
they ignore its authority. And you know what happens as a result. They miss out on the blessing that God has in store for his people. You, you don't do marriage God's way. You don't get what God has in store for marriage. That's just the way he rolls. But Pastor Ben, you don't understand my situation. I may not. You, you may indeed be in a marriage that is a living hell. And my, my heart breaks for you. But that's not in the scope of our study today. If you believe that you're in one of those exceptional marriages where it would justify disobedience to a husband or to a wife, please come talk to me. The elders and I, we, we want to help you. Okay? We don't agree with what's happening. Okay? We, want to, we want to help. But for the, the rest of us, the real question is, you know, what does this look like? How does submission in the home work? Isn't that the question? Okay, well... I think my wife has one of the best positions on this, and it, it has a little bit to do with her attitude. Um, I like sassy women, and uh, my wife is just a tinge sassy, okay? But like I said, I don't like weak-willed women. I, I, I love strong women, you know? When it comes to my decisions, my choices, my course of action, that she finds less than favorable or intelligent or wise or responsible or compassionate or whatever... She will come to me in her way, usually respectfully, respectful manner, and give me her thoughts, her perspective, all of which I want and I appreciate. Because if I love my wife as Christ loved the church, I must do that. Amen? If I cherish her, if I esteem her, I must be open to that. I must invite that. But she'll take the position or even say, it's on you. Okay? Thanks for the reminder. (laughs) And whatever it is that I decide, she'll get behind me and she'll help me succeed. Yeah, but she says it's on you. What does that mean? Well, first of all, even when it's difficult to take a submissive role in the marriage, she refuses to disobey Christ, who is the one who has commanded her to submit to my authority, even when it appears unwise. By submitting to my authority, Shandy is obeying Christ, even if it means following a fool, and at times she has. Okay? And because she has yielded to my authority, and helped me succeed with something she disagrees with, she gets to enjoy the affirmation of Christ and his reward. She gets to enjoy the joy of obedience. She gets to look forward to Christ's blessing, whatever that may be. If she doesn't take a submissive role in our marriage, it's not ultimately me that she's disobeying, it's Christ. And there is no blessing, no reward, there's no affirmation for disobedience. There is no well done, good and faithful servant for the wife who lives in rebellion to his command. You know, wives, you should. You should take the the godly position that says, I refuse to disobey the Lord Jesus by not submitting to my husband. There's no blessing in it. There's no glory in it for him. And we say there's no money in it. But wives, you should say, there's no blessing in disobeying. My life is unto Jesus. This is his command. This is his command. So my wife says, it's on you. It really is on me as the husband. I will be disciplined or rewarded based upon my leadership and the decisions I make for the family. If I make a decision at the expense of my wife, decisions that do not have her ultimate good in mind, if I'm driven by selfish desire, Christ will deal with me in one way or another because I've failed to obey his command. But if Shandy submits to my authority and and helps me succeed, even when she knows it's foolish or prodigal, I will be disciplined, she will be rewarded. That's exactly how biblical authority works. If, if I obey Christ and pay my taxes, but the government uses those taxes for immoral purposes, which they do all the time, I will be rewarded for my obedience, even though it irks me to give taxes to, those, to, to things that I know that they will do evil 
with. I will get rewarded for obeying the command of God, but the government, it will not be a good day on judgment for those officials. That's just how biblical authority works. It's on you, husband. It's on you. So I would counsel you, be loving, be wise, be thoughtful, and be mature, (laughs) you know? Also, husbands should be very careful with the spiritual, financial, occupational decisions they make, because if they're making decisions that do not have their wife's best interest in mind, and they're not loving to her, understand, you are putting a stumbling block in front of your wife. You are making it more difficult for her to follow your lead and respect you. The scriptures are clear. We're not permitted to to cause anyone else to stumble. Amen? Yeah, Jesus said, woe to the world because of offenses, literally, stumbling block. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Woe to the man who offends. To throw something into someone's path that would cause them to sin. Husbands, do not do that to your wives. Make their role in the marriage a blessing, a blessing, security. And wives, do whatever you can to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay? And wives, in humility, with respect, you are within your rights to communicate to your husband when his actions, his decisions, and his words are not loving. Okay? Right, husbands? Okay, good. All right. So clearly from this verse, God has assigned for the wife a submissive role in the marriage. She is to submit to her husband as she would to Christ in all things. Let's take a look at husbands. Wives get three verses. Three and a half. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, speaking of qualifying statements, what's it in this passage? Just as Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, because we've come to this place, I want to dispel a false idea that floats around. I've heard it said that if husbands would love their wives just as Christ loved the church, wives would submit to their husbands. Well, if that's how things work, why doesn't the church always submit to Christ, seeing that he always loves us with a perfect love? Why hasn't the church been a shining example of godliness, you know, since Christ's divine love is always being lavished upon her? Aren't you glad that he hasn't inserted conditions on his love for us? Well, I'd just, I'd love them if they would just get it together. How often would we be loved? <laughs> we wouldn't be loved. Okay, thank God there's no conditions. It has also been said if wives would just submit to their husbands and respect them, their husbands would love their wives. Okay, the truth is these are just ways to excuse disobedience to the word of Christ. That's all that is. I can't get my wife to submit, so done. I'm not gonna treat her nice or whatever. My husband won't love me like Christ loved the church. Do you know how impossible that is? <laughs> but men, we should be striving after that. Yeah, it's all very unchristian. There's no place in scripture where God allows us to blame others for our disobedience. This is a product of the fall, you realize. You remember when God came to Adam and he said, what is this you have done? And Adam said, the woman that you gave me. It's everybody's fault, but my own. Wow. And how did God respond? With a curse, with a curse. For by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Adam, you're to blame for that. We have no one to blame but ourselves, ultimately. So let's stop saying things like, if they had only loved their wives or if they'd only submitted to their husbands. The truth is, if we had only obeyed God's word. Back to our passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? He laid his life down for her. He volunteered to pay the ultimate price to save his bride from the judgment that is to come. 
Okay. Now, most wives don't want their husbands to need to put themselves in a position where they have to give their lives. Most wives would just prefer that their husbands love them that way day in and day out. I say most because I've seen some men in marriages and it'd be nice to be rid of them. And so I can understand, please give your life for me. <laughs> you guys, love, um, as we look at the love of God, the nature of love in scripture, it, it, it's best defined as seeking the ultimate good of its beloved. To seek the ultimate good of the beloved. Headship that is motivated by this kind of love evaluates all of its decisions by this metric. All of its decisions. Love asks the question, is this for the ultimate good of my wife? Does it have her best interest in mind? Will she be experiencing my love through this decision, by this purchase, by this move, by the words I'm about to say? Would moving to Alaska and living off-grid be for the ultimate good of my wife? Or is this really about me? Does this leadership style of mine make my wife feel loved, secure, safe, and fulfilled? Or is it all about me? Now, as you can see here in the text, Paul is he's building an illustration uh, in the passage regarding the marriage relationship and Christ's relationship to the church. A husband's relationship to his wife is meant to be an illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. In the illustration, the husband represents Christ in the marriage and the wife represents the church. Now, listen carefully. Our marriages, every Christian marriage has been ordained by God to show the world what heaven's relationship is to Christ's redeemed. So the question is, what kind of witness, what kind of message is our marriage giving to the world? Is it a good representation? Do they observe our wives submitting to her husband as the church should be submitting to Christ? Do they observe the husband loving their wives as, as, as Christ loved his church? Do they, do they look at our marriage and do they get the message? Are they getting the message? Or is the world getting a different idea from the way that we live together. Another question is, are your children getting the message? Yeah. There's more to say to the husbands. Christ, as the savior of the body, as Paul mentioned in verse 23, says that he loves his church and gave himself for her, and then he did it for a number of reasons as it relates to Christian marriage. He says that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, the very first word of verse 26 and 27 is, is that, okay? Now, this is the purpose clause or what we call the hena clause in the Greek. Uh, it's best translated, I believe, when it says in order that or in order to or, or for the purpose of. Christ loved his church. He gave himself for her in order that, or for the purpose of, sanctifying and cleansing her with the purifying power of his word. In order that he might present her to himself, that is, on judgment day, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. In order that she would be holy and without blemish. So in like manner, as a husband leads by the example of God's word, and leads his bride by the instruction of God's word, he's saying it purifies her and it prepares her for the day of judgment. That's quite the role that a husband is supposed to fill in his home. He's to be preparing everyone within his domain for judgment day, including himself. Okay? As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Yeah. The husband's role as head is to be subject to 
and to be led by the scriptures in order that, for the purpose of leading his family in all things pertaining to Christ, he's the shepherd of his family by virtue of his headship. And his shepherding is by way of being a student, a practitioner, and a teacher of the word in his home. He's to be used by God as his instrument of sanctification in the home. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. The command here really is no different than loving your neighbor as yourself. You see that? Which Paul says is the fulfillment of the law. So in other words, if you were to take you know, the love you already have for yourself and you bestowed it on your neighbor, you would fulfill all the demands of God's law regarding your fellow man. We got some serious love for ourselves, don't we? Yeah. But here Paul says that if a man were to take the love that he has for himself and bestowed it on his wife, he would be loving her just as Christ loved the church. That's what he would do. If a husband would take his selfish love, his self-centered affection, his self-absorbed addiction, and lavish it on his wife, she would be cherished. She would be nourished just as the church is by Jesus. Paul says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What's he quoting? Genesis 2.24. That's right. So interesting here. You know, the church is called the bride of Christ, but the church is also the body of Christ. We, you guys, you know, we were created from the sacrifice of his body. And here Paul is saying we were created, we, were, we came from him to be united to him in marriage. And he loves his body as it ought to be loved. And then Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, which is in reference to the woman being formed from the man. She was taken from Adam to then be joined to Adam as one flesh in marriage. She came from his body and God intended for Adam to love his body Eve as he loved himself. That's crazy. So Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mega musterion, a great mystery. Now, the Greek concept of mystery did not refer to something that people were trying to figure out, okay? It spoke of something that was always true, but unknown to man. It's something that was hidden in the past and then is revealed to man by God. The marriage relationship, as it represents Christ's relationship to the church, has only recently at this time been revealed. That The truth was manifest through the death and resurrection of Christ from which the church was brought into existence and then married to Christ. And Paul says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I like this. Nevertheless, whether you understand the mystery or not, Just make sure in your marriages that husbands are loving their wives as they love themselves and that wives are respecting their husbands. It's because of God's design and wisdom, because of his divine will for marriage. Christian husbands, of all men in the world, should be the most loving toward their wives. And Christian wives, above all women in the world, should be the most respecting of their husbands. So that together, as Peter reminds us, we would be heirs together of the grace of life and that our children are left with a godly legacy, and that the world gets the message. Amen? So in conclusion, do I have time for a conclusion? In the section of Scripture, the Holy Spirit commands Christian wives to submit to their own husbands and respect them. 
He adds in Titus 2.4 that wives should love their husbands. Here in Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit commands that Christian husbands love, sanctify, cleanse, cherish, and nourish their wives with the purifying power of the word. He adds to this in 1 Peter 3.7 that a husband should be understanding of his wife and that he should honor her. That is, he should highly esteem her. I wonder what a marriage would look like if both husband and wife trusted God and just simply obeyed his word. I can guarantee without any hesitation they would enjoy being heirs together. Okay? Those who do not trust God's wisdom, obey his word, they'll suffer for it. They'll reduce marriage to the way the world does it. They'll rob themselves of the joy and blessing that God had intended for marriage. They'll fail to glorify God in their marriage and too often they will perpetuate that in their children's Our marriages as Christians, they belong to God. So he reserves the right to prescribe its roles and to govern its affairs. He grants grace to those who trust him. You know, Shani and I have experienced that. We certainly don't have a perfect marriage because of me, but I'll tell you, I love being married to Shandy. And the more we have yielded to God's wisdom, the better our marriage has been. She isn't just my wife, she's my best friend. I would rather be with her than any of you, okay? And I love my church family a lot, but you just don't hold a candle to it, okay? <laughs> because of the grace of God, I would almost be willing to delay the coming of Christ to perpetuate what we have, okay? I want that for you, okay? that with your spouse, that you'd have what's the best possible experience this side of heaven. But you're going to you're gonna have to humble yourselves. You're going to have to submit to God's design for your marriage. Okay? You must. It's best. Okay? And again, I look forward to, as we have the discipleship hour for couples, listening to couples just kind of talk through how they've navigated all this and done their best to employ God's word in their marriage. It's going to be a good time listening I know all these people, and it'll be fun to hear from them. So, uh, real quick, the Sunday after the conference, the conference is this weekend, the following weekend, um, I'm going to be doing my last part of this whole thing on intimacy from 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. So be thinking about where you want your children uh, for that sermon. I'll keep it PG-ish, okay? All right. Go ahead and stand up, and we'll pray. Again, if uh, you have questions about... What we've talked about, um, if you're in one of those uh, marriages that is a living hell, um, I want to minister to you. And so if you need prayer, uh, we're here to serve you. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I guess there's many things in your word where I have just been baffled and I don't fully understand, but I've come to know your character well enough that if I'll just yield myself to it, you will be glorified. I will be blessed. And Lord, this is one of those areas that our nature just fights against. I want to use others for an excuse not to obey your word. I want to use others as an excuse to be mean, to be unloving. Lord, help us as your people to rise above that, to do what you say no matter what. Give us strength to do that. Give us your grace, we pray. And Lord, just do a work in all of our marriages that you would be pleased, that our world would get the message and we would leave our children a legacy that is good for them. So Lord, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Lord bless you.